hope my small person will let me <laughs> share with you this morning. Uh, it's going to be okay. I'll be, I'll be back soon. What are your hopes for Christmas 2022? Perhaps you have some really practical hopes. Good weather, delicious lunch, well-behaved relatives. Perhaps some hopes that are a bit more personal. Do you hope for connection, for inclusion, for encouragement and comfort? Maybe you hope for members of your family or your friends to connect with Jesus. We have all kinds of dreams and wishes and expectations about this season, all tied up in that word, hope. Our deepest hopes reflect the things that we value the most, the things we long for, those hopes that we possibly don't even say aloud. We're starting our Advent series here at Northern, and in the lead up to Christmas, we'll look at joy and love and peace. And in case you hadn't worked it out yet, um, from all the parts of our service so far, this morning, we're going to begin with hope. Just join me as we pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning and we are in all different places. But as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that um, the words that I speak would um, settle in the hearts as they need to. And the things that are not of you would just um, wash away. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for Jewish people at the time, I'm just going to move this out of the way because it's a little bit in the way for me. <coughs> Jewish people at the time when Jesus was born, there was a deep hope for a Messiah, a saviour. There were promises. Through the words of the prophets, God had said there would be one who would come as a rescuer. There would be one who would come as a servant. There would be one who would bring restoration. That's a lot of hopes, big hopes. The people were longing for freedom and victory and restoration of Israel as a kingdom. And Matthew, when he came to write um, his biography of Jesus' life, he wanted to demonstrate that Jesus met and filled, fulfilled and overflowed those hopes. So in the Gospel of Matthew, there are at least 54 direct citations of Old Testament scripture and about 262 um, verbal parallels or allusions to Old Testament scripture. So Matthew put um, his biography of Jesus' life together with Jewish readers in mind, people who would get the connections that he was making. Matthew's weaving together a picture of all these events and people and practices that were part of Jewish culture and heritage and showing that God had been doing all these things and these things are continued in the coming of Jesus in the life of Jesus. We find one of these citations um, here in, in the passage that Amy read out for us. So before Jesus was born, there was a bit of scandal. As a young woman, a teenager, you know the story. She's engaged to be married, but she was found to be pregnant and her fiance had some decisions to make. And as we heard from Amy, um, Joseph was visited by an angel in a dream. A few weeks ago, I was sharing with you about how we're moved by personal experience with God and that God will work slightly differently with, um, in communicating with each of us in our relationship with him. And sometimes that's to do with the content of the message. And I think this is one of those cases. 
Joseph is provided with an angel in a dream, and this angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived from the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, and he will save his people from, his, from their sins. The angel provides kind of direct and specific actions for Joseph to take. And as I said a few weeks ago, often God does that um, when it's a path that we wouldn't naturally choose. Joseph, um, prior to this dream, had settled in his mind that he would quietly end this engagement with Mary. But the angel says, no, God has a plan. You're a part of it. You have to put your faith in me. Trust me. And when Matthew writes about this experience, he connects it to a passage of scripture that we find in Isaiah 7. Matthew says, All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're going to take some time this morning just to um, have a look at what this passage of scripture from Isaiah is about. And we're going to come back and see how understanding what Isaiah was talking about might help us understand what this point is that Matthew's trying to make about who Jesus is and the kind of hope that we find in him. So Isaiah 7, if you haven't read it recently, is a story about a king, King Ahaz. And at the beginning of his reign, Ahaz is faced with some really tough decisions. So if I'm going to lose you anywhere this morning, it's now. So just um, pinch yourself, maybe just stick with me for the next little bit and then it'll be worth it, I promise. So at the time, the Hebrew people have been divided across two kingdoms. So if you can see the map up there, Israel, the yellow in the north, and Judah, the red in the south. And Ahaz is the king of Judah. He's 20 and he's just become king. And the news comes to him that the king of Israel and the king of Syria, or Aram in that map, um, have joined forces and they plan to attack Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And it's likely that either separately or together, these nations have already attacked and successfully won battles um, against um, the kingdom of Judah, kind of in the outer regions. So now they have their sights set on Jerusalem. And more than that, they also have their sights set on killing Ahaz and putting a, a person in place to take his job. And Isaiah 7 tells us that the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. King Ahaz is facing some challenging times. He's scared. He's shaking like a leaf. King Ahaz has a hope. A hope that his kingdom and himself will survive. It's a reasonable hope, I think. But he knows he can't achieve that by himself. His armies are not strong enough. But now he has to choose where or with whom he will place his trust. Who can work with him to ensure his survival? So Isaiah the prophet then comes to meet Ahaz. And the way it worked in ancient um, Israel is that there was a king, but there was also a prophet. The prophet was appointed by God, and the role of the prophet was to go to the king, sometimes to the people, and to help them keep God at the centre. So God asks Isaiah to go to King Ahaz, and Isaiah 7, 3-9 goes like this. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shir Yashuv, I want you all to be proud that I said that, and go out to <laughs> meet the king, meet King Ahaz. You'll find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where the cloth is washed. 
That's the plumbing system, in case you wondered. So um, the king of Israel is out checking out the plumbing. That's what he's doing. <laughs> and Isaiah is to tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves, and then we will install the son of Tabeel as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus, and Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no longer its capital, no stronger than its capital, Samaria, and Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Remaliah. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. This is a pretty amazing thing for God to say. Stop worrying. You're shaking like a leaf. You've got to stop it. I got this. What you need to do is be faithful. So this is a chance, an opportunity for Ahaz to respond in faith, to live in light of what God has promised and to help him with being faithful because it's, it's a big ask to be faithful at this point in time. God goes one step further and he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as the heaven, or as deep as the place of the dead. Can you imagine that? God of the universe says, ask me anything as a sign and you can have it. <sighs> but Ahaz says, nah, I'm good. I don't want to test God. You can almost imagine Isaiah rolling his eyes at this point. Ahaz is scared, he's worried, he's anxious. Isaiah has a solution. Trust God. And be, because of his uncertainty and lack of faith, um, Ahaz is then offered a sign. And his response is, I won't test God. He's right. He won't. In fact, God is testing him. God is seeing where his trust is and whether Ahaz will find his hope in God. On the surface, it might sound like a holy answer to say, I won't test God. But someone who's not testing God trusts him already. Ahaz doesn't. He's still worried. He's still making backup plans, which means that he doesn't think God will come through. It's kind of true for us sometimes too, isn't it? God makes us a promise and we... Um, we commit that to God and then we're like, oh, just in case that doesn't work though, I'm just going to have a bit of a backup plan on the side. We all do it. And it's into this space that Isaiah speaks those words that Matthew will use 725 years later. Isaiah says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. <laughs> Fine then, you're getting a sign anyway. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he'll be eating yogurt and honey. Before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings that you fear so much will both be deserted. For Isaiah, in context to Ahaz, he's saying this. 
You haven't named a sign, but God's going to give you one anyway. There'll be a child born and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And by the time that child is 12, he'll experience abundance. And before then, the two kings that you're so afraid of will be gone and their kingdoms will come to nothing. Though in the end, Ahaz will not choose God. God is the one in control of the things that come to pass. For Isaiah and Ahaz, the important parts of this promise is not that the child was born, but that what the child is called, God with us. And that that child is a sign of God's plan to save Judah. This is the promise. So we'll just finish our story about Ahaz. Ahaz um, ignores Isaiah and God, and he makes an alliance with the king of Assyria, who is even further north than um, Syria, who destroys the two kings, but then later he also comes and destroys Judah as well. And in that process, Ahaz is seduced into worshipping the Assyrian gods and submitting to the Assyrian king. And 2 Kings 16, if you want to read the story, tells us that Ahaz did not do right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's the story of King Ahaz, if you ever wondered. Now, what in the world is Matthew doing by referencing that story when he speaks about the birth of Jesus? I think Matthew's taking a story that was known, a story about a king who failed to be faithful, a king and his people who chose to go their own way instead of trusting God with their future. It was a story about God who provides a sign in the birth of a child, a child who would be called God with us. And this child would be the sign of God saving the kingdom and bringing abundance. Now think about what Matthew is flagging about Jesus. He's saying he's a child, a child that's born as a sign from God. And his name, his name isn't Emmanuel, is it? It's Jesus. He doesn't, his name is not God with us because he is God with us. Jesus not only fulfills this part of the picture, but he overflows it. And Matthew is flagging that this child won't just be a sign of God bringing, um, bringing saving saving them and bringing abundance. But this child is the one who will do the saving and bring for fullness. Without knowing it, this child is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. All of those hopes in this child. Again and again through Matthew, you know, feel free to read it this week if you like, you'll see these references that Matthew makes that are there to demonstrate the work and the character of Jesus. And we know from reading the rest of Matthew's gospel that though Jesus um, was not what the people, that Jesus was not what the people expected. He wasn't what they thought they were hoping for. He was the pair of socks when they wanted a phone. Matthew is pretty clear that Jesus is who he, who he is. But the people did not believe it. I think they got caught up in the image of what they hoped for, in a very specific picture of what that hope was. And in the process, they forgot who their hope was in. And sometimes that can happen to us. I was doing some reflecting um, this week, trying to nail down what makes hope different to wishes or dreams or expectations. What is it about hope? And this is what I came up with. See what you think. <clears throat> Wishes um, exist in the realm of thought, in our minds. It's a wishful thinking. It's kind of that idea. 
nothing ever comes of that. But hope is grounded in reality. This is something that happens in the world. Dreams are a, a vision that we can kind of put into action and map a path to achieving. But hopes are beyond our control. We hope for good weather. We hope for connection. These are not things that we're able to make happen. Expectations also rely on someone else. But we seem to be in control of those. We can influence them or hold people accountable to make those things happen. Hope is a choice to act out of faith. We choose to believe the person or the system that we place our hope in will do as they promise. We choose to believe that they are able and that they're reliable. And when we do that, we act as though the hoped thing for, the hoped thing will come to pass. We've taken some time this morning to write down what our hopes um, for Christmas are this year. Got those on your chains in front of you. Maybe yours are general, maybe they're specific. And there's no wrong way, there's nothing wrong with um, what you've written or writing down the what. But now, as we play some reflection music, I want you to take some time to think about who you place your hope in. Maybe all the what's will end up looking differently than you anticipate. But if we remember who our hope is in, we don't need to hold so tightly of, to the what of the image that we hope for. We don't want to be so caught up in what we think it should look like to miss what God is doing. The season of Advent is about remembering and preparing and reconnecting to the idea of Jesus coming, his arrival. We remember how he came as a baby in a manger all those years ago. And we remember that he also comes to each of us now, personally and relationally through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we remember that one day he will come back. Remember that Jesus was promised and hoped for, but he's also the one we place our hope for the future in. Join me as I pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can place our hope and our trust in you, that you are faithful, that you are reliable, that when we are... Um, in dark places and we we can't trust you we just we find it so hard that you give us a sign yourself you you just you choose to make that happen anyway thank you for all the ways that you bless us the ways that you care for us and lord help us to be people who bring that same um, hope to others that we know we pray these things in jesus name amen just going to um, have some music and there's some questions up there just if you want to spend some time reflecting. Um, if there's anything else that you want to write down on your um, chain links, you can do that too.